0: Welcome to today's episode of Getting to Know You. I'm your host, Cameron Edward Benton, and on today's episode, I have the great pleasure of introducing you to Elizabeth Cunningham. Elizabeth is a love coach, and she specializes in relationships that are polyamorous or some form on the consensual non-monogamy spectrum. Um, Elizabeth is a absolutely delightful human being she has one of the best laughs that i know and she's a brilliant mind and an absolutely compassionate heart Uh, one of the topics that we go into is how she managed to find herself in an abusive relationship and how she was able to navigate that and eventually escape it and really rebuild a life for herself after that Uh, she shares really openly and vulnerably especially as somebody who you know Is also a relationship coach and even specialized in uh, how to help people who were in abusive situations and yet you know she still found herself in that situation so we really dove into you know how that kind of situation can spiral in a way where people obviously don't see it coming because no one really chooses to enter an abusive relationship consciously. And so a lot of that can kind of like steamroll into something much larger. Uh, And she talks really powerfully and and vulnerably about that and how she now uses that experience to help others and just continue to shine her own light more and more for other people. Uh, We also dive into, you know, her own experiences being polyamorous, coming out to her family about that, uh, when she started to discover that that was how she wanted to live for herself, and whether or not even polyamory is a choice or it's actually, you know, a form of orientation, just like homosexuality or heterosexuality, and how that uh, all works in her mind. Um, So without further ado,
1: I hope you enjoy this episode of Getting to Know Elizabeth Cunningham. Welcome to today's episode of Getting to Know You. I'm your host, Cameron... I need to not do that.
0: I mean, that's yeah, but Welcome to today's episode of Getting to Know You. I'm your host, Cameron Edward Benton, and on today's episode, I have the great pleasure of introducing you to Elizabeth Cunningham. Elizabeth is a love coach, and she particularly specializes... So today on the show, we have Elizabeth Cunningham. She is a speaker and love coach. Elizabeth, thank you for coming on the show. How are you doing today?
2: Oh my gosh. I am. I'm really good. Actually. I'm really good. As we were just mentioning pre-show things have been a little bit stressful, but I'm still having fun and I love, I love what I do. And so life is good, man. How are you?
0: I'm doing, I'm doing great. Yeah. It's a, (laughs) it's a beautiful day out here in Seattle. Um, We've had a, a wonderful winter out here. If there's such a thing out here, it's it's a lot of really great blue skies and it's already seeming to, uh, completely go back to blue skies which is beautiful yeah well maybe we could start the question there is that you know something that i had noticed from you both your content and a couple of times you've gotten to interact personally is you do seem to just have this sort of like buoyant personality through through life you're always smiling and you have a beautiful like large belly laugh like for almost any moment how did you is that, some, it's gonna, is that it's something
2: it's gonna come up <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah for sure and bring it i think we'll love it yeah. what where did you develop that? Or is that something that you've kind of always just had, you know, going through your life?
2: Oh, man, no, I've definitely always been this way. Anytime that, uh, and that that is definitely um, something that people really notice about me is how who I am in person Mm -hmm. is exactly who i am um, on like on camera or like in my content or things like that like i remember i just had a conversation with with a woman who's been following me um on social media for several months and she came to my event i i hosted a summit back in december And she actually sent me a video, like took the time Mm. to send in a video testimonial of the summit. (laughs) And and she was like, so I wasn't sure if Elizabeth's enthusiasm was real based off of (laughs) social media. But Mm -hmm. after going to this event her enthusiasm is actually 100% real. It's exactly who she is. Like mm-hmm. She just shows up that way. And it's true. I mean, I have a lot of energy. I have a lot of mm-hmm. enthusiasm. I just have a lot of fun. I have a lot of zest for life. And I just love mm-hmm. I don't know, I love being Like, why not? Why not love? We're here? Why not like love being here? You know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I think that's a great, a great question. I think it's like, it sounds like you have it solved a lot easier than maybe a lot of us do where it's like a lot of us are like, well, why do I want to be here? Or do I want to be here at all? Yeah. It's a lot of question that people, you know, wrestle with, but yeah, that's, so that's awesome. So you've always had that. And I want to say that that's a great, like superpower to have throughout your life.
2: Yeah. It is. It is really interesting, though, because it is one reason why people people doubt it, you know, mm, and yeah. it's like a reason why people don't trust me. They're like, oh, well, Elizabeth must like be playing a game or want mm. something th- from me or, you know, something like that or whatever. Yeah. And I'm just like, oh, no, I'm just this is just who I am. It's all good. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: No, it's like an interesting like human phenomena where we like associate negativity as like being real and like mm-hmm. sort of positivity is like something that you're putting on or is like short-lived or whatever like I even remember somebody mentioning the fact that like you know when we talk about like we refer to you know somebody's like oh yeah you know human nature will say that and it's like this behavior that they did that was selfish or greedy or they stole or whatever it was or manipulative but like the person who was like talking about this was saying I was like but well, we don't like refer to the the positive aspects is as also being human nature, right? It's like, we only refer to like these negative aspects as being like truth uh, for whatever reason.
1: <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah.
0: Which isn't, you know, the case. It's, it's much more, um, I don't know, nuanced than that, where have all these positive or negative aspects of ourselves and how we see life. And um, it's all just part of being human i think
2: it is all of it yeah and some people are more positive some people are more negative some people are more neutral you know Mm -hmm. but i think that for the most part i mean we're all jaded in our own way we have our own biases but i think for the most part in general like people are positive that's my Hmm. belief anyway
0: yeah yeah is (laughs) that something you've just always had or is that again is that something you've kind of like developed or discovered or like where did you kind of like Get that belief from because a lot of people don't feel that way. A lot of people are quite jaded and can feel, you know, like people maybe don't want to care about them or that they, you know, can see that kind of back and forth aspect of their life.
2: Yeah. Well, I think that I've been, I, I mean, I've definitely been really fortunate um, in my life to grow mm-hmm. up with people who, not to say that like my past is like sunshine and rainbows or anything like that, mm-hmm. but I think that. I I mean, I grew up in an environment where I felt loved, I felt supported, Mm. Um, I felt supported in who I am, like my, my nuclear family, and then also our chosen family and some of our like, um, blood relatives as well, Mm. have always been really loving towards me, really supportive of me, really supportive of who I am. And and when I say supportive of who I am, I mean that since I've always been this way, since I've always been positive, happy, Mm. you know, all of this stuff. Like the feedback that I've got from my family is I really love that about you Mm. or like, Oh man, like I, I love being around you or please always keep stay this way. Cause like the older Mm. people in my life know how jaded people can get. Mm. And so they'd be like, Oh, you know, like, you know, stay, stay this way, stay, stay happy, stay loving, stay positive. Um, And then, so when people like other people might say something like, oh, well, you won't always be this way. Like I started hearing that, especially when I got into mm. college, I started hearing that from people. Yeah,
0: you did a lot in college for sure.
2: Yeah, where it was just like, well, people were like, oh, well, once you get out into the real world, then you won't be like this anymore. And I was like, okay, well, thank you. for that. <laughs> <laughs> But it was my it's. I think that again, like being really fortunate in like how my parents raised me is that like my dad, especially was always someone where it's like, you have a choice on Mm -hmm. who you get to be like, that wasn't necessarily like his words specifically, but Mm -hmm. he was always challenging us to think critically and think for ourselves and to not necessarily believe Everything that everyone is telling us, and to really examine and look at what we think is true Hmm. about the world. And so, uh, when people say things that are, you know, contradictory to what I believe um, or what I see, like I'll consider it. I'll be like, huh, interesting. Like, I remember having these thoughts in college when people started saying this to me and being like, huh, interesting. Why would they say that to me? Hmm. You know, and I'm like, well, one reason why they would say that to me is because that happened to them. You know, they got really jaded. They got, you know, Mm -hmm. things happened to them in their life and they got burned or like things like that. And they decided to become critical because of that. And so then I've decided, I was just like, well, if, if and when that bad things are going to happen, (laughs) you know, cause like life inevitably happens, but if, and when, you know, negative things happen, I'm going to choose to stay positive. Like I, so I actually made an active choice at one point in my life where I was just like, okay, well, regardless of what's going to happen, I'm going to continue to be empowered. I'm going to continue Hmm. to have a positive outlook. I'm not going to let that impact who I am as a person.
0: Awesome. Yeah. I mean, that's such a great gift. I mean, I honestly, I would love to circle back to, um, your, your dad and your relationship with your, with your parents, because it sounds like you had a very special kind of relationship in that regard. Cause I think a lot of us don't, you know, a lot of homes can be challenged or troubled, or even if they have great parents or maybe not necessarily encouraging people to, you know, sort of create the life that you want, which it sounds like your, your dad and was sort of kind of priming in you from the beginning. of just like, you know, how do you want to live life and how do you want to, you know, what do you want to believe in? How do you want to live from there?
2: Yeah, totally. So my dad actually passed away this past April. Um, So that was 10 months ago now. Wow. And so I have a a couple stories about that. So first is at his funeral. So my dad was one of those people who um, really lived life right now. Hmm. Like he... You know, he wasn't someone like he grew up in a, in a era, you know, he, he was born in 1954. And so he grew up in a time where it's like, you work hard and then you provide for your family. And then when you retire, then you can have fun. And my dad just didn't believe that. He was just like, (laughs) I'm just going to have fun and live life now because he also had a lot of people in his life who when they retired, they they either didn't, they they died before they retired, or when they retired, they only had a few more years of life. And so he was like, I'm going to live life right now because what if that's me? What if I die before I retire? Or what if I don't live very long after I retire? So I'm going to live my life right now. Hmm. And so in, in doing that, he built this entire worldwide community. He was a rugby player. <laughs> and so he started two clubs, two rugby clubs in Lincoln, Nebraska.
1: <laughs> wow.
2: Back in the 19 early 1970s, so he was he was 20, so 54, mid 1970s. Wow. He started the first two clubs, rugby clubs in Lincoln, Nebraska, and then from there he continued to play rugby until he was 60. I don't know, three, 64, wow. something like that. And yeah. he played for like an international rugby league. And it was all just because he was that person. Like he got rejected for, for the, um, American international, uh, rugby league. So then he just put his name out there and was like, Hey, anybody looking for an extra player? And Australia picked him up. <laughs> <laughs> And this is for the, for the old boys league. So uh, not in in, like the professional league, but like in an amateur league. Right. And then, so it was just like, it was just one of those things where like, I always saw this with my dad and then he was always instilling in us like, well, what else can you do about that? Okay. That didn't work. What else could you do? Hmm. Like there was this attitude of like, okay, if you want to do it, then find a way to do it. Hmm. Right. If you want to do it, find a way to do it. Like then at his funeral, um, like it was an international funeral. Like we live streamed it. People were watching all over the world. Wow. Um, and every single person that came up to me and there were some people who I'd never met in person before, but like, you know, he had told me stories about them. Mm -hmm. And there were some people that came up to me and they were just like, your dad had the most positive attitude of hmm. anyone ever like I could and like multiple people came up and spoke about him and were just like you could always count on Jim Cunningham for hmm. being for having that positive outlook for having for having the um the ability to see something else that was possible, even though it was like because like he he got lung. He was diagnosed with lung cancer originally. And then um, a couple of years later, he was diagnosed with, or excuse me, he was diagnosed with throat cancer originally. And then a couple of years later, he was diagnosed with lung cancer. And then he hurt his hip. And so then he couldn't, he, he was in like a biking accident. Oh, because also, even though he was diagnosed with throat cancer and lung cancer, he was still doing bike rides to raise money for kids' cancer research. Oh jeez! <laughs> he's like, oh yeah, he's literally had stage four lung cancer, and he was riding his bike like ten miles a day. Wow! Yeah, wow, that's incredible. <laughs> he like uh, got in a bike accident, and then so then he couldn't ride his bike anymore, mm. and then eventually he got diagnosed with prostate cancer, and then he died oh, wow. a couple months later. But this happened. Uh, this all happened over like a period of thirteen years. Wow! Um, and at his funeral this is kind of like the epitome of my dad at his funeral one of his best friends we called him like the mc of the funeral Mm -hmm. we're not we're not religious and so it wasn't in a church or anything like that and so one of his best friends they'd literally known each other since like i don't know high school um was like the mc of the funeral and He was talking about how, you know, my dad's positive outlook and all this stuff. And when he got diagnosed with prostate cancer, this guy called my dad and was like, man, Jim, why do you got to keep taking punches like this? And my dad said, so you don't have to.
1: Mm.
2: And it's just like, that was just the type of person that my dad was. And I know you asked that. I can't even remember your question right now because I just went on <laughs> about like how great my dad is. Yeah. But that was that was that was like and again, like not to say that our life was like sunshine and rainbows. Uh, but like that was that was kind of the backbone of it was it's like it was just like an environment of like it's OK.
1: Yeah. Like
2: My dad just made everything OK.
1: Yeah.
0: Well, and it's, it's fascinating to me because it's like, again, I feel like I look at you and I see the amount of positivity and energy and kind of clarity that you, you have in your life. And, you know, you've got your shit together and you've got, you know, you're, you're doing the challenging thing. I mean, you're openly polyamorous, you're, you know, doing a lot of different stuff. You have a lot of, uh, self-love that I think a lot of people would love to be able to cultivate from themselves. And so I'm always fascinated with people who have different, uh, let's say like family backgrounds and like you know some of the things that i noticed that you said right is that you you didn't have religion um which is probably a positive for some of those things um you didn't have you had and you had a great at least you know i don't know much about your mom or the rest of your relationship and stuff i'm sure there's always challenges but like you had a dad who was very supportive of you being you and i'm actually curious i mean you haven't mentioned this yet and it sounds like it's Pretty been positive, but like, were your parents your this ongoing family that support? Were they as supportive with you about like being polyamorous and like exploring alternative relationship structures as when that came out? As they were with everything else?
2: I wouldn't say that they weren't supportive. (laughs) I don't know. Mm -hmm. So when I came out as polyamorous, um, I uh, started um, bringing like people home that I was dating. And, and
0: just for context what like year is this like how old are you? Oh yeah you yeah. So
2: out? I was 21 and okay. so that was
0: still in college.
2: Still in college. It was my senior year of college. I graduated college in 2011. Okay. So this was like 2010 oh, same 2011. As me. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um and yeah, I started like bringing people home that I was like dating. Um and I was dating two people like, more seriously, and everybody else was a little bit more casual. Uh, because at the time, like, I didn't really, you know, being a newbie to polyamory, and like, when I first started practicing polyamory, I didn't even know the word polyamory, like, mm. I'd never heard that term before, ever. Yeah, um, it, it was just like I knew that I, um, felt this way, and you know, I had been really. Hard on myself, down on myself for feeling, for having attraction to multiple people at a time. Mm -hmm. And then finally, when I just came to terms with that, I was like, you know what? I'm done with like being hard on myself about this and just I'm just going to fully express it. And so I yeah I didn't even have a word I just started telling everyone that I was dating multiple people. So the people that I was dating I was telling that I was dating multiple people and then I remember the first time that I brought someone home and my mom was like, "Oh, so you're you're, you know, this is your boyfriend now." And I was like, "No." <laughs> I was like, "Um, oh, no." And she was like, well, but you have y'all have been seeing each other for like a couple months now. Right. And I was like, yes, but I don't know if I would call him my boyfriend because I'm dating these other people. And she was like, well, like, she, and, you know, it was just kind of like a confusing conversation. Mm-hmm. And then I was just like, and I'm not going to stop dating these other people. I'm just going to continue dating multiple people. And she was like, oh, okay. And then fast forward, like, I don't know, maybe like a year or something like that. And she was like, she was like, oh, well, you know, eventually you'll settle down and (laughs) Mm -hmm. find someone. And I went through this phase too, and blah, 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 blah. This was also around the time that I told her that I didn't think that I was ever going to have kids. And she also told me that that was a phase. But and Mm -hmm. uh, (laughs) and then and my dad was like pretty chill with all of it. But like, Mm -hmm. My dad, for as empowering as he is in like every area of my life, he didn't necessarily ask or want to know about my dating life. Like that was just something that was not of no interest to him, but he just didn't. That was something that we never um, we just never talked about. And I think that for him, he just didn't know. He didn't know how to talk about it with me. That this is my guess because again we never talked about it, and Man. so it's just like he either didn't know how to talk about it with me, or he just didn't want to. He just didn't want to know. Like he just didn't want to have those conversations with me, yeah. uh, which was something that he said more explicitly and in a different conversation that we had when I was like twenty five. Mm. But, but yeah, for my mom, it took because then eventually. So fast forward to when I am what? What was I twenty? Seven twenty-six. 26, when I got engaged, he, he told me that his mom had said that I was going to uh, ruin his life and any future children that we may have because I'm polyamorous. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, well, that's really harsh. And uh, so I called my mom and I was like, hey, mom, this is what's going on. And she was like, well, Elizabeth, I just don't see why you have to talk about this all the time. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, I think that the reason that I have to talk about it all the time is because basically it has integrity to talk about mm-hmm. it. And I was like, think about it, mom. Like he went on a date the other week with someone and they went to a baseball game and they ran into his family. And that would have been really weird. <laughs> had-
0: <laughs> They not been honest about it had yet.
2: They not had we not been honest about that, that would have been really weird. It would have been like, oh my god my my son, my brother my you know my relative is cheating on his girlfriend, mm-hmm. but instead it was like, oh no, like him and his girlfriend have this weird relationship, whatever blah blah blah, blah. Like- <laughs> Know, which is way, you know, it's not ideal. Yeah. It's not the ideal reaction, but it's also like better than like thinking that now your, you know, son or brother or nephew is like a terrible person. Hmm. Right. And so, anyway, so I tell my mom that, and my mom's like, okay, well, that makes sense. And then the next touch point was after we got married, then my mom was like, and I was talking about the other. Person that I was dating. And she was like, Oh, are you still doing that? And I was like, <laughs> I was like, Yeah, mom. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is it's where I'm polyamorous. So regardless of what relationship I'm in, I'm going to be seeing other people like this is who I am.
1: Mm.
2: And she was like, Oh. And so it literally wasn't until I got married and was still dating people that my mom was like, Oh, okay. Like it's kind of sunk in with her at that point. And that was 2000. I got married in 2017.
0: Okay. Got it. And are you still married?
2: No, (laughs) No. no, we got divorced in, well, we separated rather we separated in 2018 and we were officially divorced in 2020.
0: Okay. Got uh, it. Yeah. Just because I'm, I'm curious, there's a lot of, I think, pushback that you'll hear, right, with polyamorous relationships is like, oh, is like that doesn't work. It, you know, whatever mm-hmm. it is. And I, I've seen some information that it's like, you know, polyamorous and monogamous relationships succeed and quote unquote fail um, just as equally as each other.
1: Mm -hmm. And
0: I'm just curious, like what was it that you found at that point in your life that led to that relationship uh, like ending? Was it just a matter of like, were you guys just not wanting to both continuously practice polyamory or was there something else that was going on in between you? Do you think like poly like affected that, that relationship in particular or like what, what do you think kind of happened or developed in that regard?
2: Yeah. So I don't think (laughs) so. Polyamory had nothing to do with that relationship ending whatsoever um we were i i i consider myself you know polyamorous he he doesn't necessarily consider himself to be polyamorous but he Mm -hmm. more like he's more in the non-monogamous umbrella where like i like developing um like uh connections and relationships with people Mm -hmm. and he's more interested in like the like casual sex and hooking up Mm -hmm. and things like that and like I have no qualms with any of that. So fantastic. Mm -hmm. So yeah, no, the polyamory part of it had nothing to do with us divorcing at all. Um, The what, why? So why I asked for a divorce um, was because um, I mean, to put it in the simplest of terms, it was an abusive relationship. Mm. Like it got to the point where I did not feel safe being there, being around him, being with him, having conversations with him. Hmm. It was really toxic. Yeah. And I also found out that there was a lot of like, it would, it definitely fell into like the mental, mental, emotional, financial abuse category. And, Uh, and it's, was starting to fall into the physical category. Mm. It was like, if you look wow. at, cause I used to, I used to work for a domestic violence center. And so mm. one of the ways that you classify physical abuse is not necessarily that, um, they like physically hurt you, but if mm. they create a physically intimidating environment where you don't feel physically safe, you feel like you could be hurt at right. any time. Right. Right. And so he never like hit me or anything like that, but it did, it was starting to escalate to the point where I was like, I don't know if I'm physically safe here because he would like break things or like throw things around the room or like things like that. So, yeah, so I felt unsafe. And so I asked for a divorce. Got it.
0: Yeah. Thank you for, for sharing that. Yeah, if, it, if it's okay, I'd love to actually ask a couple of, of questions about that aspect, especially relating to kind of, I would say, ending up in a more abusive relationship.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, you know, one of the things from sort of the outside looking in whenever I find, you know, various friends or um, just people that I've met who have been in these situations, I'm always like, how do you end up in that? Because it seemed like from the outside, right? It's like, oh, well, wouldn't these things be obvious? Like looking at, mm-hmm. so how does, how does, like, or how did you, I would say, I could say ask generally, but even just you personally, how did, did that something that, that like, like there were little red flags to look out for, or did it just suddenly there's like some sort of a, a shift in the relationship or personality or is like, how did you end up kind of escalating into that situation?
2: Yeah. So I'll talk about that in like a personal perspective and also a um, professional perspective as well sure. is because I did used to work at a domestic violence center. I yeah. was in community education and outreach. I used to educate people on exactly what domestic violence is because you you would you would think like oh well I would never end up in that situation because I'm smart enough to see if someone's hurting me or not um, but that's not how domestic violent relationships work that's not how abusive relationships work it's not like on the first date someone punches you in the face like if on a first date someone punched you in the face, <laughs> Yeah, you wouldn't see them anymore. <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> you, wouldn't, you
0: wouldn't be there at that point. Yeah. You
2: wouldn't be there at that point. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But like, that's not how it works. Like, how it works is um, there's the the period of like you know there's the honeymoon period, just like any other relationship. There's a honeymoon period, and like oftentimes in abusive relationships, the honeymoon period is like really romantic. Mm-hmm. very full of chemistry that was that was definitely like the case for me where it was like really romantic full of chemistry you know like he would it was almost like he would just like do anything that i like wanted or could think of or like would even surprise me with things that i wouldn't even think of like i i remember i said i i really love stand up comedy mm-hmm. and he bought me tickets to one of my favorite stand-up comedians that was coming to Seattle. Wow. And um and at that point like I wasn't like super sold on dating him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but but that was something that I was like, "Oh man, like he really like cares about me and like how what a sweet gesture and like oh, all man. that, you know, where it it was just like things like that where I was like, he kept showing me that he was interested in me in these kind of bigger ways. Mm -hmm. And so, and then we ended up doing this, uh, like, personal development course together. (laughs) And that was then, and then we started taking these seminars together. And that was something that really bonded us. Like we were like doing this shared thing together. We were in my, in my eyes, we were like learning and growing together and learning and growing as people. And it really felt like, oh man, like I'm, I'm in a relationship where we're on the same page we're mm. growing together. Like, this is what I want. Like, I want to be in a relationship where I'm growing with someone. And yeah. that's when we started talking about the possibility of getting married. Uh-huh. Um, because I was just like, wow, like now we have these tools and we're growing together. And yeah. like, this is, this is all lining up. This is so perfect. Um, and, and is there also, any
0: sort of like red, sorry to interrupt just real quick. Yeah. Just, So how far when you're going to the personal growth courses, like how far into the relationship are you? How many years or months is that at that point?
2: Yeah. So at this point it was a little over a year. And at that point there had been red flags Mm -hmm. and that's why I was like not really sold on dating Hmm. him. Um, But then when we, like we'd been dating like on and off for about 10 months at the point where we, we took this course together. Mm-hmm. But then when we took the course, I was like, Oh, well it like eliminated all of those red flags for me because so it's like, was, we can
0: work through this and
2: I was like, look, he's taking, he's taking the action to improve. He's taking the action to get better. He's taking mm. responsibility or like what I thought <laughs> What I thought at the time was he was taking responsibility for the ways that he had been being Mm. up until that point. And so I was just like, oh, well, this is this checks all the boxes, right? This checks all the boxes of um, learning, growing, taking responsibility, you know, not making the same mistake twice, all of that stuff like it was it was making sense in my head that way. And then fast forward to, so that was 2015. And then fast forward to like end of 2016. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's when things started to shift a little bit because that's when I started to notice that he wasn't following through on what he said that he would do like that was kind of the first little thing where it was just like he would promise something and then it wouldn't happen like he like you know one of the examples was that we had been talking about getting married and he was like oh well by the end of this year I'm going to propose so I just need to save up money and I'm going to buy a ring and I'm going to propose and I was like great awesome and then the other thing that was going on was that he um wanted to uh like start this company and like anyway um uh, that the point being is that like things were just starting to like not line up between Mm -hmm. like his words and his actions
0: and was that with little things too or was it just like these larger things like starting a business and getting married or was it like
2: i'm I'm gonna take out the
0: trash and that wasn't happening and those kinds of things as well
2: well, it was with little things too. And it was also with um, so he also has a drinking problem as well. And so he like there was one one day where and none neither of us really had that much money at the time. And he was kind of like he was also having a hard time like holding on to jobs. Mm. Which again is kind of like it's in the pink flag category. Like when I worked at the Domestic Violence Center, we called it like pink flags versus red flags. Mm. And so, like, a pink flag is something where it's like, okay, it doesn't like this thing doesn't mean that they're like an abusive person, but mm-hmm. it's also like a pattern that could become a problem that could indicate something else. Right? right. And so, like, not being able to hold on to a job is can be an indicator of uh just someone it's just like okay like just a question of like oh what's going on here like why can't you hold on to a job you know and again like it doesn't mean that people who can't hold on to jobs are like bad people or abusive people or anything like that Mm -hmm. but it's just like something to investigate it's like what is going on here why is this happening and then there was one day this was this was my first like red flag he was like, hey, like, I don't have any money for lunch. Can I borrow your debit card and go get a Subway sandwich? And I was like, yeah, for sure. Like, and it was literally I I had like, you know, $50 at the time. And so I was like, I was like, uh, yeah, but like just this, like, no offense, but like just a sandwich, right? And uh, and he was like, okay, like, yeah, no worries. And then like time went by and we were living together at the time. And so like, you know, a couple days went by and I'd totally forgotten that he had borrowed my debit card. And so like, you know, two days went by and I was like, oh, I need to use my debit card. Oh yeah, he has it. I'm going to go get it from him. And then I got a notification on my, from my bank. And cause you know, just like fraud notification or whatever. And I look at my phone and all of a sudden I'm like negative $200. And I was like, what? What and I was like, and in my mind, I'm like, I'm like, did I forget about a bill? Like what happened? Like, do I have fraud on my account? Where's my debit card? Da-da-da. And so I'm like, hey, do you still have my debit card? And he was like, Oh yeah, here it is. And then I looked at my bank statement um online and it was like it was a couple of bars. Oh jeez. And, and I was like, I was like, you you went to a bar with my debit card and spent $200. Jeez. And he was like, "Oh no, I didn't." And I was like, "No, you did." <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's like okay. I literally see the statements on my debit card. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I was like, I was like, "What are you talking about you didn't? You literally had my debit card. You just handed it back to me from yeah. your wallet." Jeez. And this is what my, this is on my, I'm like showing him my phone. Yeah. I'm like, this is the bar down the street from us. And he was like, oh, well, I just got fries. And I was like, dude, look at this. <laughs> like, You can't you not
0: cost $200. <laughs> like,
2: like, why are you lying to me right now when I can literally look right here? Yeah. And so like, that was, that was the first like red flag. Where I was just like, oh, this is not good. But this is the thing that I want people to get about this, about being in a in an abusive relationship, is that you love this person. Like at this point, you're committed to this person. Like we're getting engaged, we're living together. I'm I, I'm in love with him you know, like I love him and I've seen him be good. You know, like I've seen, I've seen all these great sides of him and you hear so many times. And I said this out loud when I was in this relationship and I've heard other people say this out loud when they've been in, you know, abusive relationships is that it's like, well, I know that they can be good. I know that this isn't truly them. I know, I know that, you know, he, you know, they're, they're saying that they're going to get better. And I believe that I have to believe them. I believe Mm -hmm. in their potential. I used to say that all the time. I believe in his potential. I used to say that all the time. I believe in his potential, but then he would do stuff like that, you know, Mm -hmm. and then it started to digress into like being verbally abusive. Like it started to digress into like name calling, putting me down saying that, you know, I was the problem or that things that were happening in our relationship were my fault or that our money situation was my fault or if only I would do this and da-da-da-da. Like, it started to – it just started to take – like, and especially, like, we got married um, in 2017, but it was just, like, a smaller Mm -hmm. ceremony. And then we were going to have, like, our bigger wedding in 2018. Mm. And then – so like between our smaller wedding and our bigger wedding, it just kept getting worse. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like things kept happening with like it being really tense in the house and like to the point where like even my cat was sick mm. and well, technically it was his cat, but <laughs> 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 but the cat, the cat was sick. Like the cat was starting to like lose fur. Oh wow! Um, because the house was so tense, so stressful, and yeah, it just like got to the point where the the point at which something shifted in me, because we we did we had our whole big wedding, mm-hmm. two thousand you know June two thousand eighteen, we had this whole big wedding, beautiful, it was awesome, <laughs> beautiful wedding, bad marriage. <laughs> But, uh, but the thing, the thing that shifted for me was there was a, there was a, we were driving home from the grocery store Mm -hmm. and he had had a session with his, he, he was seeing a um, coach at the time to Mm -hmm. like help us in our relationship. And like, that was another reason why I was like, oh, like, you know, there's potential he's still trying to do the work and right. Like, And so he was like, he was like, oh, I meant to tell you I had this really amazing breakthrough with my coach today. And I was like, oh, awesome. Like, tell me all about it. And he was like, yeah. He's like, I realized that this isn't the relationship that I want to be in. And I was like, what? (laughs) Wait, that was the good part? (laughs) (laughs) Wait, that was that the the you're you're happy about, you're happy about this right now. So yeah. hold on. I'm just trying to wrap my brain around this. You're happy that this isn't the relationship for you. Okay. Are you breaking up with me right now? Like are you, is this is this a divorce conversation? Like, what are we talking about right now? Yeah. And then he was like, he was like, oh no, no, no. no. Like, I still want to be with you and i was like wait this doesn't make any sense yeah like and anyway the the conversation is neither here nor there but like that that was the moment that i was like i saw cuz like again i'm a highly trained person in relationships which is another reason why this is like this is embarrassing like i was super yeah. embarrassed you know and i'm i'm less embarrassed now like I was 100% embarrassed at the time. I'm only like 10% embarrassed now. (laughs) 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 Um, But like, I'm a highly trained person in relationships and sexuality and domestic violence. And that I didn't even see that this was all unfolding in front of me. And it took that conversation because then it was like, maybe this isn't the relationship for me. It literally shifted how I was listening to him. And then in actually listening to the words that he was saying, literally what I heard in that conversation were all of the ways in which someone who's manipulating you approaches you Hmm. like keeping things really confusing, not saying the same things, like saying something one way and then saying something the opposite way the next time that they say it. And mm-hmm. then being like, no, you misunderstood what I meant. Mm-hmm. Right. Like I started to hear him gaslighting me and like, he'd been doing it the whole time. I just had not no, because right. mm-hmm. I was listening to him through the lens of this person has potential. We can work through this. I know that this can work. That's how I was listening to him. and right. then- so it's almost like
0: he's confused and so that's, that's why some of his stuff is like challenged. He's going through problems. So that's right. why he's having these things versus like, oh no, this is like some sort of level of intentional manipulation.
2: Yeah, absolutely, 100%. And so all of a sudden I was like, oh my God, I hear it. Holy shit. And so then from that conversation, so I call my mom. And my mom, by the way, had sent me a letter um, when we first – when he first moved in with me, Hmm. she sent me a letter that was like, Elizabeth, I really think that this is a bad idea. Hmm. Like in – like it was like a three-page letter. (laughs) Wow. Wow. (laughs) It was a three-page letter about how she was concerned about me, how like the things that she saw in our relationship because she could hear it. Mm. but I couldn't hear it at the time. Mm. And so I call my mom and I'm like, mom, this is what just happened. And she was like, okay. And at this point she was still, cause again, like my parents are so supportive, right. like regardless of what their opinions are, they are like, okay, if this is what you want, Elizabeth, we're going to support you in that. And that's what she had told me. She was like, look, I have my opinions about this, but I love you. I'm going to support you. Right. Right. And so she's still operating and I'm still operating inside of, okay, I'm in this marriage now. So she says, okay, Elizabeth, what if you call his mom? Because at that point, by the way, I had made amends with his mom, like from that previous conversation, like Mm. his mom and I actually had a really good relationship. Okay, cool. She was like, so my mom says, call his mom. You're married now but you have a tribe of people. She's like, you just married into a new tribe. And so use your tribe, call his mom. You know, she's been with him his entire life. And so see what she says about it. See how she handles, you know, this stuff. So I did that. I call his mom. (laughs) And I don't want to like oversimplify the conversation that we had, but basically it was, yeah, He's been that way for a really long time, and we were hoping that you would fix that. Like that—that oh, wow. wasn't, that wasn't like verbatim what she said, right? Um, but like that was kind of the sentiment. Wow. Like, but she would, and and it wasn't like it's your problem or anything like that. Like, I don't want to pay. Right, like, right, she, right. Like, I love this woman. Like, she's an incredible woman, and um, I love her to pieces. I think that she is like ridiculously compassionate and kind, but like. It was – it. what it felt like to me was, yeah, we've never really been able to figure that out either. Wow. Yeah. And uh, so I was like, okay. So then that kind of put me on this several-month-long journey of what is actually happening in my relationship. <laughs> and it was one of like the hardest things that I've ever had to – do go through it was just like a complete rewiring of like actually looking at every taking everything that he was saying Hmm. for what he was saying taking everything that he was doing for what he was doing and at a certain point I was just like that's and that's also when things started to get more physically threatening Hmm. and again like I said like he never hit me or like anything like that but I remember there was a night where and I don't even remember what happened, but he we got into an argument and like he started yelling at me. And then he started like and he was like a big guy too. Mm-hmm. He started yelling and then he started breaking things. Yeah. And then I was like, OK, I need to leave. Like like just in, instinctually, I was just like, I need to get out of here. I can't be here anymore. And so I went into our bedroom. I grabbed my backpack. I tried to grab our dog, but our dog was literally like cowering in the corner and I couldn't Mm. get to him. Like there was like Mm. things in the way, like I couldn't get to the dog and like, and that's how like scary the environment was. Like our dog was literally cowering and shaking in the corner. And so like, I'm crying because I'm like, Oh no, like now my heart is breaking because like the dog is so scared. And like, I'm like, okay, the dog is going to be fine. I have to have faith that the dog is going to be fine. I can't get to him right now. I just need to get out of here. I grabbed my backpack. I, and when I came out into the living room, he had, there was, there was stuff everywhere. Like he had picked up the trash can. He had thrown the trash can and like all of the contents in the trash were now like in the, in the kitchen, in the living room, like shit was broken. Like it was wild. And I just, I went straight to the door, opened the door. He was like, where are you going? I just said, I'm leaving. And then I shut the door and I ran to my car. And then I'm sitting in my car, I'm crying and I was just like, okay. And at that point I had actually reached out to a few friends within a few weeks prior to that and been like, Hey, if I need a safe place to stay, can I use your house or use your apartment as a safe place to stay? Like at any hour of the, of the day or night, Mm -hmm. And so I had a couple people that I could call already, which, P.S., if you are in a... And this is, again, where all of my training had come in. And and P.S., like, yeah, if you're in a situation where you don't feel safe, even if you don't plan on leaving, even if you're like, I'm going to stay, if you don't feel safe, at least have a safety plan for yourself. Have someone who you can call at any given time where they can give you a safe place to be. And so that's what I had done within like, yeah, the past like three weeks of this incident. And so I start calling my people. The person who answered was one of the guys I was dating at the time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I call him, I'm crying. It's like one o'clock in the morning. And I was like, Hey, can I come over? And he was like, yeah. And then, drive to his house and just like completely broke down just like oh. crying he just like held me in his arms and it was just like po- polyamory for the win
1: uh- <laughs> <laughs> yeah
0: yeah I was gonna ask that like how how did how did and because uh, most domestic abuse type situations that I've heard from are in a monogamous type situation
1: mm-hmm. so
0: I'm curious like how did how did being in a polyamorous Dynamic while this is going on, like were you still pretty active with other partners during all this time and a lot of the stress and stuff? Like, what was that like? Were you getting a lot of support from them? Like, how did that work?
2: Yeah, so I, duh, 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 I was only dating one other person at the time, especially inside of like just how our marriage had been going was like really stressful hmm. and like a lot yeah. of drain on my energy, and so yeah. I. Uh, wasn't like dating. Um, But I was I was in this other uh, relationship. And at this point, him and I had been together for two years, I think. Um, And so it was it was a, you know, long term relationship at that point. Um, And one of the things that was happening, because I would tell him what was going on between me and my husband. And he was concerned about it. Um, And when I reached out to him and was like, was telling him, was asking him if I could, you know, use his place as a safe space, he was like, yeah, of course. And he had actually had a sister who had gone, who had been in an abusive marriage. And uh, so he was, fairly familiar with holding space for people he loved who were in situations like that and so he also knew because one of the things about like holding space for people who are in situations like this it's really hard because the thing about being in an abusive relationship is that you don't have a lot of autonomy in that relationship like you don't have a lot of autonomy autonomy like you don't have a lot of choice um and or you or, or that's how you feel right, right
0: it's a perception of it yeah
2: yeah and and so when people try to help and they say something like oh well you should do this then number 1 you're also not giving them any autonomy any room for their own choice And you're also putting them in a position where now they have to defend their relationship or defend the person that's hurting them. Hmm. So it's like, if you're like, oh, well, he's a jerk and you just shouldn't be with him, it's like, oh, well, he's not a jerk all the time. And like, da 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 da. And now, now I feel like I need to defend myself. And so now you've put me in a situation where. I can't talk to you about how I'm actually feeling because now I feel the need to defend myself. Right. And so he already knew that. (laughs) And so when he was like holding space for me, um, he was just like, he would tell me, you know, that he was concerned. He would be like, okay, well, if you need me to do anything about that, I'm here for you. Like that's, that's what he would say. He would say, "If you need me to do anything about that, I'm here for you. I care about you. Mm. This, you know, I'm concerned about some of the things that are happening. I know that you can handle it, and if you need me, I'm here for you." Mm. And so I reached out to him, and then therefore he's like a really safe space. Um, and so I reached out to him, and I was just like, "Yeah, um, if I need a safe place to stay, can I come over?" And he was like, "Of course." And so then, and then I ended up utilizing that
1: that night yeah wow wow yeah and so
0: then from there you is that basically the, the the beginning of the end at that point where you're kind of like moving towards the separation the divorce
2: yeah like at that point it was like we're done in yeah. my mind in my mind right. like obviously there was still like conversations to be had and you know all the things but like, yeah
0: all the other stuff that goes along with it
2: <laughs> but in my mind at that point it was like i can't stay
0: yeah what was that that like for you to kind of get to that point? I mean, like you mentioned, you are somebody who operates very positively. You have all these supportive parents and things. You're pushing sort of the boundaries of what's possible with relationships with polyamory. You're a love and sex and relationship coach and doing all of these things. And like you already mentioned, there's there can be I want to say like a lot of shame that comes up, right? It's like this is your you know profession and sort of you're in this like position. You're also like trained as domestic violence uh, you know specialist. <laughs> And yet you're in this situation. Like, how did you I'm saying, deal with that? With those emotions and the shame and the kind of the the, the negative stuff internally didn't come up with that kind of thing.
2: Yeah. I mean, um, it was a lot. It was really hard. Um, and I did not deal with it well at first. I remember those first several months. I mean, I felt terrible. And, and also we had just had this huge wedding too. Mm. And so like my family had drove out, flown out, his family had drove out, flown out. It was a, we, we did it in Colorado and neither of our family is from, you know, Colorado. And so (laughs) everyone had to like, you know, displace themselves to be there. And my parents had just spent all of this money and, Like, you know, you when you have a wedding, you make a promise to you're making a promise for your relationship in front of your entire community, right in front of every single person that you love. And so it's not just that like this is my livelihood, but it's also like these are it's like breaking for me at the time. It was like breaking the trust of all the people I love. Hmm. Like that's what it felt like. And that was the most devastating part for me. I felt like I had betrayed every single person that I loved. Mm -hmm. And it was hard. (laughs) It was embarrassing. It was a lot of shame, a lot of guilt. And I remember standing in my... So he moved out in... I, I asked for a divorce in October. He moved out in November and i remember standing in my living room like some some time after he moved out i you know a couple of weeks i don't remember the timeline necessarily but and but i just had this moment of it was actually you know what now that i'm thinking about it it was actually very similar to the moment that i had when i realized that i was going to be polyamory, that i was like going to start practicing polyamory even though i didn't have that term yeah <laughs> but it was very similar to that moment. I was just like, okay, I can't live every single day telling myself how terrible of a person I am. Like I can't, that is, this is not a sustainable way to live. Mm -hmm. And so again, taking all of my training (laughs) as a, as a coach and being like, okay, like, what's the issue here? Like, what am I, what am I most afraid of? What, like, if I had to name the problem, what is the problem? And I was like, I don't trust myself. Like, That was, I was like, oh my God, like, I don't trust myself. I don't trust myself to make decisions for my life. I don't trust myself to not hurt the people that I love. I just, I don't trust myself. that's that's the problem I'm having right now. Um, if I distilled it all the way down. Right. And I was like, okay, um what is so what's missing or or what is what's the way like this this is one of my favorite coaching questions. What's a way of being that you really wish that you could be that you that you haven't been able to be? What's a way of being that you wish that you could be that you haven't been able to be? And I thought about it for a second and I was like, well, I haven't been able to be peaceful. Mm. (laughs) Um, uh, There's a lack of love. And then I was thinking about like, how did I really like ways that I felt in my relationship that I wish that I didn't feel. And one of them was that, he would say things to me that like when I got really excited about things, like he would put down the things that I got excited about mm. or like or not supported in some way or he would do the gaslighty thing where he would support it for a while but then eventually turn it around on me and tell me why I was, you know, terrible for feeling the way that I did. Mm. And so I was like, "You know what's missing for me? You know how I wish I could be? I wish I could feel celebrated. I wish that I could just be celebrated and fully loved for exactly who I am. That's how I want to be. And so I took that and I was like, okay, what would I need in order to feel fully celebrated, fully loved for exactly who I am? What would I need? And then it's so funny because it's always the problem is always the answer. Mm -hmm. But, and I was just like, oh, I would need to trust myself.
0: Right, right.
2: And so I was like, okay, well, that's that's what I'm going to go to work on. I'm going to go to work on trusting myself. Mm-hmm. And so that was a journey for me after my divorce um, for several years. And I can, you know, like it's gotten to the point now. So that was, you know, end of 2018. Where I had this conversation with myself and it was probably into like 2021 when I had this moment where I was like, oh, I can really trust myself. It was, it was, was that August? It was like August, 2021. And I had this moment where I was like, oh, I can really trust myself to do this. It was like when I was, I had created a six figure business at that point, I, you know, was getting to the point where I was like being able to like generate clients and things and I was like wow I can really do this and it was like I had gained that trust and confidence in myself and not to say that like I never waver um, but like it it took several years of a lot of inner work I know the way that I just framed that, it sounds like a lot of accomplishments. Just <laughs> <Yeah>, you <should laughs> ask was, yourself
0: one question and, and just take off from there.
2: Yeah, but it was just, but it was a lot of inner work. Yeah. Yeah, and it was just like, but that but that was the moment where I was just like, anyway, that that kind of goes into a different story, but I remember that moment too.
0: Wow, wow, cool. Well, thank you so much for sharing all that. I mean, that's like so insightful to, I don't know, just hear about that type of experience I'm curious, is there anything that like, you know, looking back or like, as you look back on that type of relationship, is there anything that from your own experience, you would say like, oh, like to, and if you were talking to yourself at that age, maybe before you're getting into that relationship to like, to look out for certain things, Was there anything that you could have in retrospect been able to detect? Or do you think you would have like, no matter what you sort of would have ended up sinking into that kind of relationship?
2: On the one hand. I'm gonna say something like super cliche and cheesy, um, yeah. but that's kind of that's kind of how I roll. My my first business coach ever said something to me, or rather, it was a group group business program, so he wasn't just saying it to me. Um, but he said, "If I could take away all of the suffering from your past, everything bad that's ever happened to you, everything negative that's ever happened to you, he's like, if I could take it all away, would you let me?" And I was like, no, I wouldn't. I think that the things that have happened, you know, because that's not like the only thing that has had me suffer in my life. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I think that when we look at when we take on life as what did I learn from this? And this is the biggest, the biggest lesson that my mom has ever taught me ever. And she still asked me this question anytime anything happens, she goes, well, what did you learn from that? Because life is going to have pain and suffering. No one has a life without pain and suffering, just like no one has a life without joy and happiness. So if we're going to inevitably have pain and suffering, are we just going to be resigned about that? I guess you could. Some people aren't. But it's also like, what if you use that? What if that helped you be a better person? What if you grew from that? What if you use that experience to be able to help other people? Wouldn't that be a beautiful way to continue to live life? And so that's how what I feel like I've done with this experience and and other experiences that I've had. It's like, well, now I have this (laughs) really relatable (laughs) experience to, to be able to share and like help other people, you know? Yeah.
0: Yeah. You have that real world wisdom.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So, and I think that what I would say to people who are like, you know, and I do want people to avoid, you know, abusive relationships. I don't want you to Mm -hmm. go into an abusive relationship just so you can come out on the other side stronger. Like, don't, don't, don't put yourself through that, please. (laughs) Um, this is that the first advice is more for people who've already been through that situation, yeah, and you can't sure. you can't undo the past, right? Um, uh, but for someone who is like wants to avoid that situation, I would just say, like, trust yourself, trust your instincts. Like, there's a Maya Angelou quote, which is, "When someone tells you who they are, believe them." just believe them. Just be like, oh, okay. Someone's potential is their future and that's their business. It's not yours.
1: Yeah. Yeah, like I think how that's a,
2: how, yeah. How they're being with you right now. That's your business.
0: Yeah. That's a, that's like an idea that has come up with me with um relating to like a job that I had had previously where it's like, you can fall in love with somebody's potential, but you, you have to really be able to fall in love with who they are right and that's they're not necessarily the same thing right it's like I recently saw somebody else post a thing where it was like you know it's very easy to fall in love at somebody versus fall in love with somebody yeah because the in love is like you're both in that and the at love is like well you have this idea of who they are or the idea of them being in love with you or whatever it might be and it's you know it can be easy to fall in love with that picture in our head versus the reality of something (laughs)
2: exactly and the other thing that happens too is that when you fall in love with the idea of someone it also is going to cause a lot of tension in your relationship because now you have expectations of who they are who they should be how they should be acting that they're not living up to so you have now created a bar for them that they didn't create for themselves and that's when we get into you know problems in relationships when we're not operating in the same reality.
0: Yeah. And that makes it pretty difficult to have a relationship if you're not (laughs) operating in the same reality.
2: It does. It makes it extremely difficult. It causes a lot of tension. No one is happy about it. Like even in, Mm -hmm. you know, just normal relationships, like not even like abusive relationships or, and I would say like unhealthy, like there's healthy, unhealthy, toxic, and abusive relationships, Hmm. right? And I think that toxic is kind of like a buzzword that gets thrown around. People mean different things by it. Um, uh, But but I think that when you have an unhealthy relationship, that that means that it can be a healthy relationship. Because every single person on this planet, I don't care – How many degrees you have i don't care how many certifications you have i don't care how trained you are like (laughs) Mm -hmm. we all have unhealthy behavior we all have we all have things that don't work we all have ways that we learn to be that don't work you know and we all have our own you know inner work to do you know all of that right and Mm -hmm. so just because you're in an unhealthy relationship doesn't mean that you can't work through whatever there is and have it be a healthy relationship. Um and so also just recognizing like when where when it falls into abuse is that it's a pattern of behavior that continues to happen no matter what you do and that there is like if you if you're in a relationship with an abusive person then uh, they're not going to change. Like their behavior doesn't change, no matter what they say. Mm. Doesn't matter what they say, their behavior won't change, Yeah. right? And I'm not saying that that's like the end-all be-all definition of abuse, Mm -hmm. but that's just something that separates abuse from an unhealthy relationship, where an unhealthy relationship, it's like, if you're in an unhealthy relationship, if someone recognizes that what they're doing has a negative impact on you, then they're going to change that behavior because they don't want to have a negative impact on you. Right. Right. They want, they want that relationship to be healthy. So they'll do something about that. So that's the, that's one of the differences between having an unhealthy relationship versus an abusive relationship. And again, like, I don't want that to, You know, that's not like all inclusive. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And a
0: lot more complexity than that. Yeah. Yeah.
2: But that 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 would be one aspect. Yeah.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you for for sharing all that. That was uh, an incredibly enlightening and and insightful. Um, I want to circle back back to um when you first sort of discovering that you were poly even though you didn't have a word for that mm-hmm. and even maybe let's, let's take a step back further um something that you have said and has come to my my conclusion for myself is like you know seeing polyamorous as an orientation versus simply a choice mm-hmm. and a lot of people i think when it's phrased it's like oh well, we're going to like try a polyamorous relationship but they can see it as a you know a way of having relationships versus like sort of an actual like orientation.
2: Can you Mm. like
0: talk a little bit about that distinguishment? Like, do you see it as a possibility uh, that both of those types of things can be exist? It can be like a choice or it's an orientation. Like, how do you kind of see that and distinguish Mm. that?
2: I have a hypothesis about this. Mm -hmm. (laughs) My hypothesis is that everyone has a relationship orientation. And so like some people where so it's like more of a spectrum You know, so it's not like you're either monogamous or polyamorous, like, you know, non-monogamy is like this whole broad, like, umbrella Mm -hmm. where, you know, you could be monogamous and then maybe on this spectrum, like, it starts at monogamy where, like, truly, you know, that person who is monogamous, like, that is, that's what makes them most fulfilled and happy is to have mm-hmm. one person for as long as possible, maybe even their whole life, you know, and they're just like that just lights up their whole world. Right. And mm-hmm. so you might say that that person, their relationship orientation is monogamous. And then all the way down the line to, you know, maybe on the other side of the spectrum is like relationship anarchy. I don't
0: mm-hmm. know. Yeah. <laughs> Can you Again, can you share what relationship anarchy is for those who do not know that term? Oh
2: yeah, for sure. So uh relationship anarchy is uh actually I could pull up the the definition. The definition of it is actually really cool. So it's I'm I'm gonna use this person's words other than mine. Um relationship anarchy is the application of anarchist principles to intimate relationships. It values include its values, excuse me, include Autonomy, anti hierarchical practices, anti normativity, and community interdependence. Relationship anarchy is explicitly anti ammon. Can I say that word? Anti amatonormative and anti mononormative. I've never heard the word anti amatonormative before. That's so cool. I've
0: I've never heard of that word before either. So
2: (laughs) we're going to have to look it up. All right. And anti mononormative and is Commonly, but not always, non monogamous. So, a, a simpler definition is re- relationship anarchy is the practice of doing away with and sometimes all of the traditional socio cultural rules, quote unquote, for, or formalities usually applied to romantic relationships. And I know that a lot of people who practice relationship anarchy. They practice that, you know, kind of throughout their whole life where they start to break down the sociocultural rules for their family or friendships or things like that. But basically in practice, so that's the definition. And in practice, what that looks like is that when you're relating to another person, you take away all of the assumed rules like you're basically just making it up as you go. So not to say that there are no rules, not to say that there is no structure, it's just that the rules and structures that you create are the ones that you create. Not mm-hmm. the ones that were there before, which in monogamy is, you know, being with only one person, right? So that Got would be it. like a rule that you might take down.
0: Got it.
2: Yeah. Got it. So that
0: so that's so what you're saying is on the extreme spectrum as opposed to like I guess, complete monogamy.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And then, so you're saying that most people are kind of like, why, you think most people are kind of like wired to be somewhere on that spectrum and they kind of like identify it for themselves?
2: Yeah, this is my hypothesis. Like, because I think that this is a very new, it not, not I think, this is a very new conversation in mm-hmm. our current culture, right? Across mm-hmm. time, we've had conversations about non, like many cultures have had conversations about non-monogamy. Um, but in our current culture, this is a very new conversation. And so what I think is going to happen is that we're going to find just like in the queer community where it's like, you know, we had um, gay men, we had lesbians, and then it was like, oh, and there's people who are bisexual. Oh, and now there's people who are, pansexual. There's people, you know, all of this we're starting to find other orientations inside of that because it's how we feel, right? Like we're trying, all we're trying to do is put words to how we feel. And that's why like, you know, when I say I didn't have the word polyamory yet, I still (laughs) started seeing multiple people. You don't need the word in order to Discover how you feel and then communicate that, and that's what this is. It's discovering how you feel, communicating that. Discovering how you feel, communicating that.
0: So you, so you are finding it, and I'm actually really, like, really curious about this because you, you were dating multiple people, um, mm-hmm. which is something that a lot of people do, like monogamous or otherwise. Like they will date multiple people, and something that I was not even really aware of, and it's still like weird to me is like I'll read like. I don't know, like Arnold Schwarzenegger's biography or I'll read different um, things from other people in relationships and they'll be like, oh yeah, and then we like got married and so we stopped like seeing all these people and I was like, wait, like the way I was raised is like, you kind of like were basically exclusive for a very long time before you even got engaged and married. But then it's like a lot of other people like had all these different, basically different types of relation structures that were maybe Mm -hmm. just kind of assumed, I guess, but you didn't like talk about them. So like what for you when you were, dating other people, like saw what you were doing as, as I guess different than others? Because again, there's a lot of people who date multiple people who aren't maybe transparent about it. So was that like the main thing that you were just like, I want to be like open and clear about this. I don't want to be this like in secret.
2: Yeah. My main, I I had two main things. One was that I'm not going to be secret about it and that anybody that I date, you can't be secret about it either. Like Mm. I'm not going to be hidden from anyone (laughs) and you're and you know, no, no hiding. Um, and then the other thing was, and I'm never going to stop doing this. Like, this is who I am now.
1: What,
0: what was it that like made that so clear to you at like a younger age?
2: I don't, it just seemed to make sense.
0: (laughs) Just like from like a logical point of view.
2: (laughs) Yeah. It was just like, it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't, it was, it was really that simple. Like, I was just like, this is how I feel. This is how I want to be. This has always been how I felt. So. Most likely, this will always be how I feel. So this is what I'm going to do from now on.
0: Got it. And so, I guess to to uh, ask more clarity on that, were you in like monogamous relationships before that you were like, oh shit, like I had feelings for somebody else now, and I don't, I want to have both of them, but like you didn't know how to navigate that early on. Like, how did you start to? I don't know. I want to say like see that as being important. I guess.
2: Yeah. No. Well, I had, uh, you know, from, from the time that I was like 13, mm-hmm. I knew that I had multiple feeling or our feelings for multiple people mm-hmm. at the same time. And at the, t- like a, when I was like 13, I was like, well, I just need to choose someone. Mm-hmm. And that kind of sucks. Like, I remember that. I remember like I had a crush on like these three different guys at the, at this time and They were all kind of interested in me too, and but then I just had to like choose one, Hmm. you know, like I couldn't be with all all three of them. Um, And then like in high school, I had a high school sweetheart and there was a couple of times throughout high school where we broke up and I always dated someone else Mm -hmm. in between those times because there was always someone else that I was interested in. Too. Um and then when it came to college, um, because my my high school um boyfriend wanted to marry me. Hmm. He was pretty adamant about that. Um he had proposed several times. Oh wow. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It was uh it was a thing. And then (laughs) And like he had it all planned out. He was like, oh, we'll get married. We'll live in the marriage housing on campus because he was also going to go to the same college that I was going to. Mm -hmm. And I broke up with him, I think like the first week of college. (laughs) And we had already kind of been talking about the possible like, you know, I was just like, oh, I don't know how I feel about this. I don't want to mischaracterize this. This was like 15 years ago.
1: Yeah, I get you. (laughs)
2: But basically, like I broke up with him um, at the beginning of college. And what I said to him was, if we stay together, I'm going to cheat on you because I knew that I wanted to act on these strong feelings that I had. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I don't want to cheat on you. So we should break up, you know, because that was, again, that was my in my mentality was you're either monogamous or you're cheating. Mm. And so I was like, well, I don't want to cheat on you. So therefore I can't be in a monogamous relationship. And so then um, I actually ended up like, I don't know, six or seven months later, I met this other guy and we ended up dating for like two and a half years throughout college. And that was at that point, I think it was like the last year or six months of our relationship. There was a couple of times where I got drunk and made out with someone else mm. um, because I was, I was like, I was experiencing strong feelings for other people. Yeah. And, um, and I also wanted to like be transparent and honest. So I would get drunk, I would make out with, you know, someone. And then the next day I would tell my boyfriend and I would be like, I'm so sorry this happened. And I, I did, I felt terrible. Like I just, I felt like this terrible person and I was just like, I'm so sorry, this is awful, blah, blah, blah. After about, yeah, like six months of that or so, he was like, yeah, I'm not really about this life anymore. (laughs) Like keep doing this. This is not what I signed up for. I'm out and broke up with me, which like, you know, fair, fair point to him, obviously like, yeah, that's not what he signed up for. He didn't want to be like randomly cheated on. Like any (laughs) time. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Oh <laughs> um, and so I was like, yeah, fair that that makes sense. And, and but I really did. I really hated myself. I really thought that I was a terrible person. I thought that I was disgusting. I was just like, and then again, like I had a conversation with myself like, are you really going to hate yourself forever? Like, this is how you truly feel. This is how you've always felt. And so, are you really going to hate yourself forever for this? And I was like, no. i'm not (laughs) i'm not gonna hate myself forever for this i'm actually going to you know what i'm just gonna act on it Mm -hmm. i'm just gonna sleep with whoever i want i'm gonna tell everybody about it it's gonna be great perfect
0: (laughs) and how did that how did that go for you initially when you first like made that choice
2: oh my god it was so great (laughs) it was fantastic I started, um, oh my God, that was like my super slut era. I was like, (laughs) you know, professional slut, you know, I was, I was doing, I felt, and I felt so good. I felt so liberated. I was like Mm. dating. Um, yeah, I was dating two guys like consistently, like seeing, seeing them consistently. Mm -hmm. And then there was another guy that we would hang out like like once a month or something like that and like mm-hmm. hook up or whatever. And then I was going out like every weekend and like having sex with different people every single weekend, casual wow. hookups, getting you know, whatever. And I was fucking loving life. I was just like, this is amazing. This is so perfect. I just felt like so good. I felt so empowered. Mm. I was just like, Oh man. Like I, I, and, and I was, I was like any person that I was with, I was like, yeah, this is the deal. I'm, I'm going to be, you know, I I'm dating these other people. I'm sleeping with people. I'm having casual sex. Mm-hmm. Like this is what's happening. And so if you're on board, hop on board. If you're not on board, no worries. You don't have to, you can find yeah. someone else who will work better for you. But. And yeah, it was a blast.
0: Oh, and did you have any anyone that you were like looking up to in this space, like any sort of mentors or guides at this point, or no. like books that you had read? It was just like full on cold turkey, just like jumping yeah. into this.
2: Full on cold turkey, jumping in. <laughs>
0: wow, wow, that's amazing.
2: That's and incredible. Then, yeah, and then it was it was a couple months into it that I so I was studying gender and sexuality. That's like one of my degrees, right? And then I was also taking these uh, classes outside of school. They were called the Sexual Education Committee uh, classes. And so, about, I don't know, three or four months, four months um, into this, they had a poly panel. And so, they had a whole panel of people, four, (laughs) they had four people. (laughs) (laughs) that four people who were polyamorous and they just shared about their life and how they feel and how they go about relationships and all this stuff. And I was like, oh my God. I was like, now I have a word. I have a word called polyamory. Yeah. Oh, and I'm not alone. I was just really content on being crazy for the rest of my life. You know, I was mm-hmm. just like, well, this is me, you know, mm-hmm. I'm just gonna be Elizabeth, the super slut forever. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um but, uh, but yeah, like I never had a word for it. And so, and then they, I also heard of the book, the ethical slut. Mm-hmm. And so then that book became like my Bible. Wow. I just, I read that book from cover to cover multiple times hmm. and was just like, oh, this all makes so much sense.
0: And so when you're you're discovering this, you're finding this all out for yourself, like, and now you have these like words for it, like how did that start to like develop for you, like over time? I guess as you're maybe transitioning out of your uh, your super slut era into, <laughs> I don't know, maybe you're being pickier or choosier with 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 mates or that kind of thing, or like you know finding different partners. Like, how did that kind of grow and develop for you over time?
2: Mm, I think over time, I've slowly been shedding all of the supposed to's of relationships. <laughs> At the beginning, it was. super slut mass chaos. It was fantastic and phenomenal. And then I did, I started dating this uh, other guy. How, how old was I? Like 22. It was like maybe 22, like going into 23. And, um, he was open to Mm Polly, but he wanted to be a primary partner. And at the time I had, for all intents and purposes, like, and I had never, again, never heard the word solo polyamory before, but sure. kind of like in retrospect, I, that was kind of like originally what I was doing, right. um, was more in the lines of like solo poly. And, uh, then, you know, I, yeah, I met this guy, we started dating and he, and again, I didn't have the term hierarchical poly at that time either. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But but that's kind of what we started practicing. Where it was like, you know, he was more of the primary partner and he had a lot of like stipulations, I guess. Um, and uh, and and I was, I was in, in a, you know, agreeance with like most of it, mm-hmm. but then there were some things that I like didn't agree with him on. And like, I can't, I'm trying to think of an example now, but that was like 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And basically, yeah. So there, so there was that, there was like hierarchical poly and that didn't really work for me, but we still, I still kind of practice hierarchical poly in my next relationship as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and then in the, the next big relationship I had after that was with my husband. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that definitely fell into like hierarchical poly, um, to like, uh, and that was like part of our relationship that we always had tension with, um, mm-hmm. because he wanted, um, specific like stipulations to be met. Um, and they, they just weren't always things that I could meet necessarily, Mm -hmm. uh, or wanted to meet or thought it was necessary. And I was just like, that has way more to do with your insecurities than like us building a healthy polyamorous relationship. Mm -hmm. But you know, we all know how that relationship went. Mm -hmm. And then the relationship that I had after that um, was my first queer relationship. Mm -hmm. Um, And in that relationship, It was seemingly a little less hierarchical, Um, although I would still argue that, you know, there were things that they needed or wanted that would fall into, like, hierarchy. And I was still, like, kind of in this mentality of, like, trying to balance that. Like, I was still in in this mindset of, that's okay, that's something that I can make work now and so i i'm i'm not in that that relationship anymore and we had multiple relationships throughout that relationship as well um uh, but that relationship ended very recently and really what i've been practicing for the past probably like year no less than that maybe what i've been transitioning to and that was kind of one of the kind of one of the reasons for the end of of this past relationship was because i've been more and more and more transitioning to non-hierarchical poly, more and more leaning towards relationship anarchy. (laughs) Um, Because again, like the more that I'm shedding on like supposed tos of relationships Mm -hmm. or ways that things have to be, or like, I don't know, any, (laughs) I'm trying to think of like a Oh, like th- this was a really good example, actually, um, that happened over the holidays with um, one of my partners right now, which is um, we were together for the holidays, like um, they were at my house, but I got invited to this holiday party and I wanted to go alone. Like I actually didn't want them to come, not because I don't love them, you know, but yeah. um, <laughs> But because I was just like, I really want to go to this party by myself, you know, um, uh, I, I feel like that would be the most fun for me. Mm-hmm. And I was really nervous because I've been in these more hierarchical, like toxic and or abusive <laughs> like relationships. And so I had a lot of trauma around even just asking. Mm -hmm. And being like, hey, like, I'm gonna go to this party by myself. And I'm kind of like bracing myself for like a an upset. Hmm. And she was like, thanks for telling me. And I was just like, and we had a whole and then I and then we had a whole conversation about
0: (laughs) (laughs) You're like, you were supposed to freak out. What happened?
2: (laughs) (laughs) And then we had this whole conversation about like You know, all of that, right? All of like everything that's happened in my past and like all of these like expectations and like how that still shows up for me where I'm like, oh, they're probably going to want to come to this party because we're supposed to go as a couple, you know, blah, 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 all this stuff. And she was like, no, yeah, no, I I want to go with you if you want me to go. She was like, honestly, it like... Brings up, it, it makes me trust you even more
1: mm-hmm. when
2: you tell me you do want to do things with me because I also know if I, I will know. Because if you tell me that you don't want, when you don't want to do things with me, then yeah. when you do want to say that we should do something together, I'd like really believe you. Yeah. And like, I know that you're not going to just bring me along out of obligation. I know that you're going to invite me because you want me to be there. Yeah. I'm like, yes, exactly. That's how I've always felt, but <laughs> I had a partner that feels that way too.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I I feel very similar when I get like a no from someone, whether it's a friend or uh, somebody I'm you know romantically involved with or that kind of thing. Because it's always I have always feel like once I know that they will tell me no or that they have somebody who has strong boundaries, I'm like I feel so much more comfortable
1: yeah. with
0: them and expressing myself because I know that when they say yes, it's really a yes, right? It's I don't have to be in that sort of doubt spiral in my, my head about it, whether they want something or not. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they're not just being polite with you.
0: Yeah. 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 I think, cause even going back to maybe the beginning of our conversation right, where it's like, there's this, I don't know, stories we can have around the negative aspects being truer or, or that kind of thing. And so I can do the same thing. I think coming from a, a people pleasing background where even in myself, right. Where it's like, I can agree to things or be polite when I don't want something. Rather than something, you know, telling somebody. And so that I, knowing when somebody's not being polite or nobody will be firm, it's like, it gives me that permission of like, okay, cool. That can I really trust. They're not just people pleasing me. Cause I've had, you know, one small relationship where somebody came out and they're like, yeah, I was actually people pleasing this whole time. And it was like pretty traumatic, you know, in that same way. Cause you're just like, I don't even know what was real this whole time. It's very jarring.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It does. It just completely breaks trust. You're like, well, what was real? Like, did you ever want to do anything with me really? Like
0: Yeah. Yeah. Or what did you yeah, what did you, what didn't you? Like I don't know. Yeah. It's yeah, throw a lot of things into question. One thing that I would love to go over before we sign off is so you you part of what you identify is as like a love coach. Um, and I think a lot of people would maybe look at that and be like, ah, like, I don't know what that is. Or like, is that like possible? Like, what does that look like? Like, so like what in the world is a love coach? And then like, how do you coach somebody on love?
2: Love is a way of being, you know, when you, when someone walks into a room and you can feel their energy, like someone walks into a room and you're like, wow, that person is like really interesting or like, or someone walks into the room and you're like, wow, there's something going on. Like, Ugh, mm-hmm. is that person okay? Like, is something going on, on with them? Like, you could say that that's like, that's how they're being, right? They're being mm-hmm. a certain way. And so love is a way of being. And so how do you be love? Mm-hmm. How do you have that aura about you Hmm. and how I coach people and I coach people in polyamory specifically because there's so many different facets to love, relationships, sex, Mm -hmm. (laughs) sexuality, eroticism, gender comes into play. Uh, Yeah, there's just there's so much. There's so much under that umbrella. Um, and so the reason why I coach people inside of polyamory specifically is just because it's like an area of expertise and also because I just can't coach everybody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And how, how I coach people in their polyamorous relationships is that it really starts with you. It starts with all of the limiting beliefs that we have. Like, I want to draw up the limiting beliefs i want to draw up the emotions that are hard for you to be with i want to draw up the things from your past that have repeated themselves or that are still stuck for you you know you had that person break up with you when you were 14 and now you can't trust you know men or like or people in general or you you know went through a terrible divorce and you can't trust yourself. <laughs> um it's just like all of those things, I want to draw all of those things that are inside of you. I want you them to be you to become aware of them. And then I want to work through them. Hmm. Like work through those we all have limiting beliefs. All of us, we all cap Our potential. Oh, amazing relationships aren't possible for me. Or a lot of the times our limiting beliefs don't sound limited. They sound reasonable. Hmm. It's like, well, that's just not how relationships go. Well, all relationships are hard. Oh, no matter what type of relationship I'm in, it's going to be difficult. Well, I date men and men are bad at communicating, so I'm never going to be in a relationship that has good communication. So limiting beliefs sound reasonable, they sound justifiable, and they're bullshit. (laughs) But we all get bought off by them because all of us have similar limiting beliefs. And so your limiting beliefs sound really good and sound really real because other people will agree with you. Our limiting beliefs keep us stuck because other people help us stay there because they believe the same things that we do. And so I help people see where They think they're fine (laughs) Mm -hmm. and they've actually limited themselves. (laughs) It's like, no, I do. I actually don't believe you. I am the voice in your life that says, I don't believe you. I don't believe you when you say, oh, I date men. So therefore relationships are always going to be annoying or tricky or hard or have miscommunication. No bullshit. Absolute bullshit like i want you to believe that you can have relationships with men that have great communication where you do get your needs met where things can be easy you can have a relationship with a man where things are easy got it. right so anyway so that's and and then that's that's just like scratching the surface right but that's like that's what i do i help people draw up all of those things that are keeping them stuck on their insides, (laughs) Mm -hmm. have them be aware of how they're keeping them stuck and then move through them so that they can then have more empowering beliefs, be more emotionally intelligent, not have their past, hold them back, Mm. be able to be confident see more possibilities, have better communication, have fun. Oh my God. Like really, <laughs> like fun and easy and loving and like even better. Like my, the things that my clients say are, I did not know it could be this good. Hmm. I did not believe I could have relationships like this. I had no idea that it could feel this way that those are, those are the things that my clients say to me because oh, you, know, you don't know
0: right i mean that, that literally makes sense right because if you're it's they have a belief that they can't feel this way and all of a sudden they can't feel that way it's like oh I, I literally didn't believe that this was possible before
1: yeah
0: so i'm curious along those lines where you're saying um right it's like people have sort of these reasonable limiting beliefs and that's kind of i want to say like uh accentuated or sort of supported by the fact that basically people around them are agreeing with them mm-hmm. like for somebody who is changing a belief system about themselves that is now going sort of, I want to say, against the grain of the people around them, like what kind of uh, and a support or like h- how does a person like maintain that, I want to say, for lack of a better word, like faith or like that belief in something that's not seen yet, uh, like throughout that, like how do you, how do you maintain that level of, of courage, I guess?
2: Practice Um, practice, and also having people around you, like starting to surround yourself with people who, excuse me, do believe that those things are possible. You know, that's like, (laughs) again, just tooting my own horn here, Um, but like with the community that I've built with the clients that I have, it's like now we have a community around us that believes in the things that are possible and like, and can see when we're limiting ourselves, right? So Mm -hmm. like being able to see when you're limiting yourself, because you're going to keep doing it because you're human. Mm -hmm. And but being able to see, again, the awareness part is so, so, so key. And being able to like, be like, oh, I just said something that was really limiting. What's that? How can I shift that? right? And then getting the support of the people that you are now in your community, right? Mm-hmm. And also when you start being that way, then the people who have known you are going to see that shift too. Like you're, you are going to start making a difference for the people around you. <laughs> because I think that people want to believe that bigger things are possible. They just haven't seen it. Mm-hmm. And yeah. most people need to see something before they believe something. And the tricky part about what I do is that I need you to believe it before you see it.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: I mean, Kierkegaard. I don't know if you ever studied philosophy, but that was his whole thing. It was like, you know, this idea of taking a, quoted the term, the leap of faith. Right. It's like literally, you have to believe something and trust that it's gonna end up that way. Um, that's mm-hmm. sort of how you. Whatever, you, whether you create something, or whether it's a relationship or change something in your life, you have to take that, that leap. You um,
2: do, you absolutely yeah. do. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> um,
0: well, Elizabeth, this is such an absolutely fantastic conversation. Thank you so much for jumping on and sharing. Um, like, where can people find out more about you to if they want to follow you or check out any programs that you do? Like, where can people find out more about you?
2: Yeah, thank you. Uh, so, my website is Elizabeth Anne cunningham.com that's elizabeth with a z anne without an e and then cunningham and then my instagram handle is at elz cunningham and my course instagram is at love deeper it's love dot underscore Dot deeper. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And then I am actually, we're going to have a a new um, podcast coming out, which is called the Queer and Polly Podcast. But all of that is on my website. The best place to go is my website, elizabethanncunningham.com. And then from there, look at my courses. And that is how you can find out what I do. If you want to work with me, um, there are some of the courses, my monthly mentorship program, you can just sign up for, you don't need to pop on a sales call with me. You can, if you want to, I would love to talk to you obviously. Um, but you can just sign up for the monthly mentorship. Um, and if you want to do my group program, love deeper, um, then hop on a call with me. We'll see if it's the right fit for you. And if it is, then we'll get you going.
0: Perfect. Thank you. Well, Elizabeth, this was uh, wonderful. I really appreciate you jumping on and yeah, have a great rest of your day.
2: Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This has been wonderful. I had no idea what we were going to talk about. And this has been brilliant.
0: <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, uh, <laughs> we went down uh, a couple of really cool rabbit holes, so I really appreciate it.
2: Oh, right. yeah. Thanks, Cameron. Yeah, thanks a lot,
0: <laughs> Elizabeth. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Getting to Know You. If you enjoyed listening to this episode as much as I did in making it for you, please consider leaving a five-star review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. It would really help the show out. Additionally, if you'd like to stay in touch, consider following me on Instagram at Cam Edward Benton. That's Cam-C-A-M-E-D-W-A-R-D-B-E-N-T-O-N on Instagram and YouTube if you want to follow the show on there as well. Once again, thank you from the bottom of my heart for listening, for taking the time, for being curious. It means the absolute world to me, so thank you from the bottom of my heart.